We read these words. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So... Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. 
We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God for I tell you that Christ has come a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I'll sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. In another place, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, the one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the core messages of the Bible is that as God's people, we are to love one another. And according to the letter of John, the Apostle John, who speaks about loving one another, showing true love to each other, is the only way that we can prove that we are born from God. In other words, if we are indifferent to each other, we are definitely not born from God, then we are merely Hypocrites, liars, says John. He's very clear on that. Friends, it's, it's rather easy to listen to regular messages about the duty to love one another. And not alone with that. Sure, we are to love one another. That's, that's God's command. And by obeying it, we show that we are not liars, but that we do love God indeed. But the question is, how do you do it? It is so easy to agree with a sermon and go home and forget what you have heard and do nothing about it. So how do we put this command to love one another in practice? There may be lots of people in the congregation that we hardly know and we do not even make the effort to get to know them. Well, then to say we love them means nothing. To come here every Sunday and have a friendly smile for everybody, that is a good thing. But is that love? I believe love is much more. To love one another is not as easy as it sounds. To love someone requires effort. And that effort may even turn into sacrifice, as we heard last week. 
So love will always cost you something. Even if you are truly born again, it's so easy to slip back into the mode of indifference towards one another. Unless we constantly repent of our natural selfishness, we give up making the effort. What I want to do today is, is to touch on some foundational marks of church life. And it's about acceptance of each other. You know, to be able to love one another, we have to begin to accept each other. Especially when we think and often behave very different from each other. So we'll do that by reflecting on the topic that Paul addresses in Romans 14 and 15 about the weak and the strong. And the title of my sermon is Accept One Another in Love. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. That's a quote from Paul just before our passage. You can find it in Romans 13 verse 8. So therefore it's in the, in the context of the calling to love one another that Paul brings up a specific topic now. Verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, Paul has good reason indeed to address this issue. There's obviously some tension in the congregation of Rome that threatens their unity. It's about eating of meat. Now, this is not about what we nowadays call vegetarianism, where because of health or animal welfare of climate concerns or whatever other reasons, people never eat meat but stick to vegetables. Well, that is a, a personal choice, I believe, that everyone is free to make. But in this case, in Rome, there is a, um, a kind of spiritual reason for abstaining from meat. In Rome at that time, the abattoirs were connected to pagan temples. And if an animal was slaughtered, it was first presented to an idol as an offering. And after that, all the edible parts were cut up and sold as meat on the market. Now you can imagine that some Christians were worried about that practice. Can we freely eat meat? That has been sacrificed to an idol. Perhaps better not, because there might be a kind of curse on it now. Well, other Christians argued, well, an idol doesn't exist anyway, so it can do nothing to spoil the meat. Just give thanks to the Lord for his provisions and enjoy your steak. Now, this eating or not eating of meat is what Paul calls a disputable matter. Both people have a point. So, so what should Christians do in a case like that? You know what they did in Rome? They began to judge each other about it. The meat eater would say about a vegetarian, what a stupid argument. I am above that childish reasoning. 
I'm eating meat whenever I like. That's my freedom as a Christian. You recognize that attitude? It's treating your brother with contempt. You look down on him, says Paul. And looking down on someone is acting in pride. It's arrogant. The moment you do that, the relationship with your brother is broken and love is out of the door. Well, that's one side of the story. But Paul has a word for the vegetables only person too. He says, you are not to condemn someone who does eat meat. Because that's what they were doing. He said, oh, this family is eating meat bought at a temple, being sacrificed to an idol. It's contaminated. True Christians should stay away from that. And I can't understand why this brother can't see that. The elders should do something about it. And the minister should more clearly preach against it. What can you see? The division developing. Stop it, says Paul. Who are you to judge your brother whom the Lord has accepted? See, that's that's the core of the matter. Has the Lord accepted someone? Then you have to do that too. Now, what makes someone acceptable to the Lord? Is it the food he eats or refuses to eat? Of course not. It is genuine faith in Jesus. It's making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. It's about having repented of your life and having received the Holy Spirit. It's being born again by entering into the kingdom of God. Now, if someone has received that, then he is your brother and you are to accept him as God has accepted you. No matter what someone thinks about all kind of doctrinal issues. Now, understand me well, I'm not talking now about the essential doctrines of the church, like the Trinity um, and the deity and the humanity of Jesus, his death and resurrection, the need for being converted, the central place of God's word in our life, the place of the Holy Spirit in our life, all these things. These are essential for being a Christian. But there are also other doctrines which are not unimportant, but which are not salvation issues, which form not the essence of our Christian faith. And we'll come back to this a little bit later. But let's first look at another of these disputable matters. Paul mentions, verse 5, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. So the the meat issue in Rome might be rather far away from home for us. But this one is much closer, I believe. It's been an issue for centuries in the Christian church, whether we should keep the Sabbath law by turning our Sunday into a day of absolute rest. I remember from my youth how the Sunday in most church families was a day of a lot of don'ts. Don't play sport. 
Or don't go for a swim when it's hot. Or don't go for ice skating when it's cold. And most of all, don't spend any money apart from filling the collection bag. It's funny how, how easily you take these things on board and indeed start judging others who do differently than what you are used to. But I did. 35 years ago, we moved from the Netherlands to South Africa. Now, in South Africa, we had a neighbor who, who was not shy speaking about the Lord. And on Sundays, he went faithfully to his church. Well, that was all fine. So we thought, we, we may have a brother here. But to our shock, we saw him as he drove back from church on Sunday, stop at a corner shop, buy himself a newspaper and a carton of milk. We immediately had to rethink whether he was a brother after all. Now, that's the very judgment Paul wants to discourage us from doing. So we have, we have repented of that. I would, have to love, I would love to have an, another chat with our former neighbor, but I assume he's not alive anymore, at least not, not on earth. Anyway, over time I came to realize that, that Christians have very different traditions developed in very different situations. So the Dutch Sunday tradition is very different from others. But this South, South African experience helped me a lot to come to terms with the fact that our Korean church members here at the branch didn't see, didn't see any problem to take advantage of the fact that our our church is next to Woolworth supermarket. After church, they saw them walking to their cars with full of shopping, with full shopping bags, which we won't normally not do on a Sunday. But thankfully, we are past judging anyone for it. If they want to do that, that is fine. And now I come to an important point of application. I believe, as a church... It's, it's very good to be challenged now and then on all kinds of issues where you can differ and where you do differ as Christians. See, if we all agree with one another on every issue, we just think and do what everybody else in our church community is doing. Kind of unwritten rules amongst us. But then we are never really challenged in our thinking and over time we even run the risk of becoming a cult with our unwritten rules. And in the end, we come to think that we are the only ones who have all things right, doctrinally and ethically. So the rest, all, all the churches must be wrong then, somewhere, somehow. Well, that's typically thinking for a cult, for a sect. So therefore, it is a blessing in disguise if we develop serious disagreements about certain issues. I'll give you an example very close to home. And talking about a rather painful experience. As you know, the branch is, is a church that originated from a tradition where infant baptism was the thing to do. And nobody was questioning the validity of it. We just did it because we believed that was the right thing to do. 
But then, some 15 years ago, several church members started to question whether infant baptism is the way to go. They became convinced that a believer's baptism is the more biblical way. I admit, initially, I felt very threatened by that because the issue had the potential not only of dividing the congregation but even ruining the very work we had started with so much faith and joy. Now, the problem is if you insist on one way of being the only acceptable way, so either believer's baptism or infant baptism is right, then it becomes impossible to work together in one church. Part of the congregation would accuse the other part of ruining the beauty of covenantal thinking in which infant baptism fits. And another part would judge the others by accusing them of an unbiblical baptism practice. And as I said initially, I felt very threatened by it and spent many hours seeking the Lord about it, what to do next. I wished often that the Bible would be a little bit clearer on that very point. That Paul would write, make sure that you never baptize a person before he is clearly a born-again believer. That would be very helpful. Or or the other way around. Do not forget that children of of believing parents are entitled to be baptized because they truly belong to the flock of Christ. But there were no such texts in the Bible. Neither how to spend your Sundays and a number of other issues. Why not? Well, somebody suggested the following answer, and I think that goes a long way. It says, perhaps God wants to teach us to come to terms with differing opinions in the church and still accept and keep loving one another. See, it's easy to love someone with whom you totally agree on everything. But it's a challenge to keep loving when you fundamentally disagree. Back to the branch, dealing with the baptism issue. Over time we realized we typically had a a Romans 14 issue on our hands. And that is not a curse, but a blessing for a church. Because we had to say, well, since this is not a salvation issue, we choose not to break up the church because of it. We will accept one another in love. Even if someone is passionate about the issue, there's no reason to shut him up altogether. But rather we say, friend, not everybody thinks on this issue in the same way as you do, but we love one another. And we will show that towards each other. Because ultimately the point is that everybody should be convinced in his own mind. And we are to give each other room for that. Therefore, I want to to make perhaps a somewhat controversial comment. Over time, I've grown in understanding that we should give more room to each other's conscience in this matter. So I believe now that even if someone who has been baptized as a child and should wish to also be baptized by immersion, now that he has become an actual believer, that we cannot stand in the way of that. 
Or if someone, if someone feels that the Lord has placed that on his or her conscience as a matter of obedience, they would feel compromised if they didn't do it. So who are we to stop anyone from doing what he or she feels is right in the Lord, Lord's eyes? So far my perhaps not so controversial comment anymore. But think and pray about it, especially if you feel to disagree on it. My next comment is hopefully not so controversial. The acceptance of each other should also be applied if we talk about other churches. They can do things very different from what we think is appropriate. The way they worship, the issue of speaking in tongues, convictions about the coming rapture, etc. And it might be hard to live with one another in one church if there are so many differences. But let's face it, if, if there are very various churches who do things differently, what is the real problem with that? As long as they believe the essentials of the gospel. As long as it's all about Jesus and his kingdom. As long as people do repent and are born again indeed, let's rejoice with them and for them. For one day, we'll meet them in heaven. So let's begin by loving them now. If we just ignore each other or have only bad things to say about each other, what impression does that make to the world around us? Jesus prayed, Father, let them be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. John 17, 23. Jesus is praying, therefore, unity among the believers in his name. Now take note, we have to carefully discern unity from uniformity. Unity is from God. Uniformity is from somewhere else. Uniformity is what you see when you watch a parade in North Korea. Thousands of people identically dressed, marching exactly the same way. I think it's awful and frightening in a way too. Because it's dehumanizing people. It's denying their individuality. That's uniformity. Unity is very different from that. For unity, we have to think, or the Bible let us think, about a human body. As you know, there are lots of different parts in your body. Totally different. But they all cooperate to make a person what he is. And there you see God's amazing creativity at work. Creating unity out of variety. And that is why the church is called the body of Christ. Christ is the head. And all body parts, though very different, are controlled from the head, which is Christ himself. And that brings us back to Romans 15. With all that variety in church, we are of one mind. As it says in verse 7, 
none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. That's a, that's a beautiful word to think through what that means in the light of the culture we live in nowadays where it's all about individualism. Everybody does what good is in his own eyes. And that, that's strong thinking of our culture. And, and it comes into the church as well because before we know we, we, we inhale the same breath of that culture. And then to read this, what Paul says, none of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Friends, that is being a true church. We don't, don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the body of the Lord. And there's only one way to keep this body healthy. That is by showing love to each other, by being committed to one another. Now, the point of Romans 14 and 15 is love and judgment simply don't go together. If you judge someone, love is already out of the door for you looking down on him. That's in the church, totally unacceptable arrogance. So don't do it. Overcome your judgmental attitude. Fight it, for it comes so naturally to all of us. It's always been like that. Remember the warning of the Apostle James in his letter. We have an example, that illustration. A well-dressed person walks into your church. And you hurry to welcome him and give him a good place. Then a, a drab-looking person walks in and you think, what, what to do with a person like that? Well, ignore him. And he'll soon enough disappear. And then James warns us, you are discriminating and being judges with evil thoughts. The only one who has the right to judge is God himself. And guess what? God does not judge anyone. He will, ultimately, but not before the time is there, not before the person has died. It's only after we die that we have to stand before God's judgment seat. God is patient. And we should take our clue from that and not judge anyone before the time. There's another problem with judging. It's this. As long as we are busy judging others, we do not judge ourselves. And if we do not place ourselves under a continuous judgment, we cannot grow. The more critical we are about ourselves, the less inclined we are to judge someone else. We happily leave that to the Lord. And in the meantime, we are to prove our love to one another by taking into account each other's sensitivities. Paul says, for instance, I have no problem eating meat, wherever it comes from. But if I'm in a situation that I will confuse or offend my brother by doing it, I'd rather not eat no meat at all. I will not say to him, hey, grow up, you weak brother. Become as strong as I am. 
know if I'm really as strong as I think I am. I should be strong enough to bear with my brother's weakness. Or in the words of Paul, chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build them up. That is being strong, being able to bear each other, bear the weak ones. You know who's the strongest in the whole world? Is God himself bearing the whole world in his love, showing perfect patience. Thinking of that makes us truly humble. People around us may think the world of us, but if we are really standing naked before our God, what is left of us and our pride? What room is there for our judgment? Our judgments of others. Asking the question is knowing the answer. So listen to the conclusion of 15 verse 7. Accept one another then, as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. As Christ has accepted you. Do you believe that Christ has accepted you? Are you aware of how non-judgmental he must have been to accept you? Learn from him then to accept one another in love. Now we cannot do all this in our own strength. So I want to take some encouragement from the last verse we read this morning. Verse 13, chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you long to be filled with peace and joy? Then you first have to make room in yourself. You have to get rid of being judgmental. Get rid of a critical spirit. Get rid of a negative mindset. Get rid of a cynical attitude. Get rid of indifference. For all these things not only ruin the possibility of loving each other, but they keep you from experiencing the joy and peace that God through the Holy Spirit can fill you with. You're either full of judgments of others or you are full of the joy and peace that God gives to those who seek it. And once you are full of joy and peace, you will overflow and everybody in your environment will benefit from it. But as we heard, we can't create that in ourselves. It only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. The more you crucify yourself, the more you die with Christ, the more the Holy Spirit will take over your life. If the Spirit dwells in each of us, we have a unity that the world will never understand, but it's a very real one. You can sense it straight away if you meet someone who is led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has only one aim. And that is bringing praise and glory to God our Father and Jesus Christ his Son. So the more you are led by the Spirit, the more you make a contribution to the church, which is the body of Christ. Accept then one another in love and keep proving that to each other. Not only with words, 
and good intentions, but for deeds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks so loud and clear that we have to accept one another as you have accepted us. Lord, we thank you that you overcame your disappointment and anger with us and have replaced that with patience and love. And that in that love, you have accepted us as being your children through Jesus Christ. We thank you for him that he gave himself up in order to grant us life that's in him and in you. So Lord, help us to focus on that. Help us to find ways and means to show our love to each other and to, um, to bless one another with the gifts that you have given to each of us. We ask those things through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.